I'm co-host James Ash. And I'm co-host Phil Scaife. Welcome to the Business Lockdown. Really excited about today's show. I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine, John, to the show. Hello. Hi, John. How are you doing, John? Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, you guys. So to bring everyone up to speed with John, uh, I, I was going through a, a, a pretty difficult patch a few years ago. And um, I, I came across John and his company, which at the time was Fluent Coaching. Um, and I received, I received coaching, which was transformational. It, was, it, it, changed, it changed the way I, I viewed all the things I was going through. And it's also changed me since then. And then I went on to, um, to learn um, via, via John and his training uh, to become a coach myself, to help other people, which again was, was part of the, the missing ingredient that we, that we discovered together. Um, incredible individual. I've written, I've written down five words here to describe, to describe you. I've put a coach, a leader, a speaker, a dad, and an author. Uh, <laughs> I hope I've, and an ex-professional footballer I can throw on there as well. You, you, you've missed you've missed ginger off that's quite a big part of my identity as well oh, that's that, that's for those listening on the podcast john. oh sorry yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> just to paint the picture <laughs> john you've been a huge inspiration to me for the past few years well the entire time i've known you and uh, i'm sure you're going to be inspirational to our audience so welcome to the show welcome thank you thank you for having me so um i mean that was obviously just a just a brief skimmer over the top Let, let's um let, let's start with start with where your journey started. How how did you uh, how did you become a coach? How did you how was that look? Um, so interestingly, I had absolutely no intention of becoming a coach at all. Uh, at the time I did, it was two thousand and eight when I actually became I went professional as a coach. And previous to that, I'd heard about coaching a little bit. I'd heard of people talking about life coaching. And to be perfectly honest, to me, it sounded like just a bit of like fluffy bunnies, wishy-washy kind of stuff. A bit of a fad that would kind of come and go. Not something that was really for me. I, I think I imagined myself to be a bit too straight-talking and a bit too northern to kind of be able to do anything that was kind of life coaching. Um, and then eventually it was one of those things where, um, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me in life where things just seemed to keep cropping up and getting mentioned again and mentioned again. And, and coaching was one of those things over probably a year, two year period that was happening for me. And then eventually I was in the pub one night with my mate and uh, Rand, he's, he's the kind of mate who knows loads of stuff about loads of things, but not in a like cocky way, he just kind of knows stuff. So I said to him, do you know anything about life coaching? You ever heard of it? And he said, yeah, I've heard of it. I don't know much about it, but there's a, a girl that I know that is a life coach. I can put you in touch with her. So he did. I gave her a ring. She tried to explain coaching to me. It made absolutely no sense at all. I was like, I just didn't really have a frame of reference for what she was talking about. So I asked her for a session and said, can you just give me a free session so I can experience it? I had a session with her. It was probably, the, at the time, it was probably the best conversation I've ever had with anybody up to that point. And it was weird because I was having it with a virtual stranger over the phone. It was just bizarre I cut my head in the tail of it following that I decided I was just going to go do a bit of training see what happened I almost went a bit cynical thinking if I go do this training it's going to be rubbish and I can just put it to bed and then I can crack on with my life and within an hour of sitting there on this very kind of introduction to coaching training I was just thinking 
this is what I'm going to do. This is me. This is me all ends up. This is, it was, it was proper like hand in glove kind of moment. This just fits for me. Um, and it kind of, it kind of went from there. So it was a real stumbling upon something that was, that's turned out to be amazing for me. Wow. So, and that all happened back in 2008, right? Oh, sorry, pre-2008. Pre, pre yeah, so the last bit of that was all 2008, me and the pub with my mate talking to that coach and that. And then I kind of trained. Yeah, I know so that must have been 2007. And then it's kind of 2008 when I started to train. And, and then 2008, whilst towards the end of my training, I started to try and uh, put myself out there as a coach and started to build a, a very tentative coaching practice and kind of went from there, really. That's kind of where the ball started rolling from. Right. How did you network? respond to that your family friends your mates you know did you get some stick about this americanized kind of life coaching um direction that you were you were going down yeah absolutely tons absolutely tons of stick <laughs> my, best, my best mate who i've been mates with since i was nine just laughed his head off he was like what what even is that what are you even talking about how can you possibly do that what i mean he was in a really nice way he's a he's a, he's a brilliant mate really encouraging but it was it was just loads of banter about the whole idea of me being a life coach. It was just funny. Um, and actually, it was only um, 2018 when I actually finally got around to releasing a book on coaching. And uh, I went to see my parents that Christmas. Oh, there we go. Thanks. <laughs> Holding that off for us. And uh, I, went to, uh, I went to see my parents at Christmas. And they said to me, oh, we've read your book. Um, and I said, how oh, do you enjoy it? He said, yeah, yeah, the best thing about it was actually finding out what you do for a living. <laughs> and I was like 11, 10 years, 11 years in at that point. So my, my whole sort of like livelihood for a decade has been a complete mystery to my parents and a, a mystery to loads of other people. Because I, I just think most of the people that have been in my life who haven't been kind of really close to us, um, or kind of close to seeing what I've been doing on a daily basis. I've almost felt like I haven't even really got a job. It's just, I don't know, it's just this thing that I do and it doesn't really make sense to them at all. So, yeah, initially, though, I got loads and loads of banter about it, loads of stick about it. And to be honest, rightly so, because there is a lot of it that's portrayed that is quite funny. And sometimes the way that people do it and the way they come across about coaching is funny as well. It, it has got this real, like, potential cheesy side to it you know and it can be a bit twee at times the way people present it but the heart coaching isn't like that at all that's just kind of people presenting it probably a false image of it I think. so then so then from from there you then built fluent coaching right yeah so i, I started out by myself and uh i thought i needed a business name so i called myself voyage at first because i thought that sounded quite cool uh, and it was like almost like taking people on a voyage. And then I actually met uh, a lady who was running her business as well. She became my business partner, um, Jane. And we kind of got together on our businesses. This was kind of about 2009 time. And we took on her name because her business was a bit more well-known than mine, but it was rubbish. It was a proper crap name. <laughs> so in 2010, uh, we decided to change, uh, change our name to Fluent. Um, and then we kind of ran as fluent coaching up until very, very, very recently. So, yeah, we had a we had a really interesting journey with all that. Just an interesting question I've got there. Is, so you you come into your third brand change, right? Is that is that correct? How it will be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people out there at this moment in time who 
are changing what they do, they're adapting, they're pivoting, whether that's a brand name change or their actual their own identity or the business identity. What what insight have you got for each brand change? I mean, has it been an easy shift? Was it was it definitely the right thing to do? Was it a year of hard work following a brand change? Can you just give our, our listeners a, a bit of insight into that, please? Uh I think it's always been all right for us, but then I, I think that's because we're a, a kind of people-facing business in the sense that um, I am the face of whichever brand name I've kind of been working with. My business partner is the same. And, and people really, in terms of what we do, they buy into us. So people are much more connected to me than they are to any kind of brand name that we, we give it ourselves. And if it was me working by myself, I'd probably just call it John Ball and coaching or something, you know, it wouldn't even have a brand attached to it. The reason we give it a brand is because there's more than one of us, you know, so we actually need it to have some sort of name that, that ties us together. Uh, it's supposed to be a bit like having a family name, isn't it? But it's actually, it, for us, it's not so much about that name. That name can be helpful. We can use it. Um, it can definitely help us in the process of building something but it will never replace the idea of human connections i don't think for us it's always going to be about people connecting to me people connecting to jane and people connecting to the other coaches who do work for us so for us i don't think it's that big a problem i think it'd be different if you really are a business that's a, um, a bit more faceless in the sense of a bit less human if you like you're you're more about a product or a service that people don't see i think the brand name would potentially be more important and a bit more difficult to shift um but for us it, it, it's never been that big a deal to be perfectly honest we, i'm not very precious about those types of names because i just think it's more about the work that we do it's more about the impact that we have it's more about the relationships that we build whatever that's called I, i'm really not that fussed about we need to call it something and, and i want to call it something that's you know sounds good and works and means something but other than that, I'm really, really not precious. I don't lose a minute's sleep about getting rid of Voyage or, or, or closing Fluent down or anything like that. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't phase me at all, any of that stuff. Interesting. That's quite interesting, that, because I've been through a rebranding before and, and I think the hardest part was the emotional attachment I had just purely on that word and that little symbol next to that word. Um, I, I lost the uh, the fact that it it's there as a as a vehicle, and uh, and and that, yeah, I, str I struggled with it. I think emotionally. The um, so you'd already decided to rebrand prior to this crisis, is that right? Well, uh, a bit of both, really. We we started to talk about it. Something we probably talked about for a while. We possibly, in hindsight could have or should have done it a year or two ago um, but really I think it's something that's been on the table for a little while um, and then I think uh, really the coronavirus stuff just really kind of pushed that for us that made us go right you know what if we're, if we're going to do this this is the right time to do this the world's changing so we need to change with it so let's change let's do things differently uh, it kind of felt like fluent run its course a little bit in some ways and I was ready for a bit of a change Jane was ready for a change we just needed to do things a bit differently um, so we can't because it's us that's the thing as well the business is us so we're kind of taking everything that's been really good about what we've done over the past decade or so with us 
but we just want to add in a, a bit of freshness to it and, and a bit of difference as well. Because I, I do think the world is going to be different after this. I think there's going to be differences to the way people work. There's going to be differences to the way, you know, we're going to work as well. Um, even doing stuff like this, you know, like now you talk to people just in a matter of weeks, I talk to people about doing Zoom coaching and nobody's batting an eyelid. Everyone's really all right with it. Do you know, in fact, everyone's really wanting it. Uh, whereas a few weeks and months ago, you'd have talked about that and people have been like, no, no, I'll drive and see you or, you know, let's meet up or, do you know, so I do think things are going to be different following this. Whenever, whenever this ends or whenever things start to shift, that I really, I know it's a horrendous crisis for so many people, but I'm also really hopeful in the midst of this that the world is going to emerge as a better place and that actually our culture and our way of doing stuff and our way of relating and just people being able to reset a little bit and, and really consider what really, really matters to them. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping the world does emerge as a better place. And I really hope, the big hope for me is that we take less stuff for granted, that we're more appreciative and more thankful of the lives that we live. Yeah. Is there anything that you've got rid of since this has started? Any of the sort of baggage that you've realised that you were sort of carrying? Well, uh, it's interesting for me because um, it's a little, it's, a, it's different, but it's a little bit similar. So two years ago when my wife had cancer, a lot of people talked to me about that process of saying, oh, well, when things like that happen in your life, you'll really consider what's important. You'll really reset on things. You'll really spend time on the important stuff. And actually for both me and my wife, Rachel, what it did for us is it made us realize that we've already got that stuff really well aligned. It didn't for a minute make me think I need to do something different or I need to spend my time differently. It actually just made me go, do you know what? I've, I've kind of got this how I want it to be. I've got this in a, in a good space. Um, I've got it in a place where, like, I've never had Sunday night blues. I've never had that moment that people talk about, like, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've never, ever experienced that in my life. It's not everything I've ever done. I've always loved, I've always wanted to do it. Um, so that, that might be luck or it might be me making those things happen, I don't know. But I've never had those things. I've never struggled with work-life balance. I've never been at a moment where I thought, oh no, I'm not spending enough time with my kids or you know, I'm too obsessed with my work. I've never been there. So I think for me, stuff like this uh, just helps me to confirm that actually I've got my life in a good space. And, and I don't say that in any kind of boastful way, just in a way that is true for me. It just is true that actually the way I live and the things I invest my time in pretty much, you know, align with my priorities and my values in life. Um, there's obviously the odd tweak here and there, the odd room for improvement, the odd week that doesn't quite go how I would, you know, how I, how I would want it to. But generally on the whole it's more a confirmation for me than any radical change yeah i love that i love that point john and um I, i'm i'm absolutely aligned with with that way of thinking and outlook on life um you hear stories of um somebody being diagnosed with terminal cancer and you know you hear right well, i've always wanted to go to take the family to disneyland or i've always wanted to do this this is on my bucket list and they've got a, a 30 grand car sat on the drive that goes out uh, that just goes to work back and forth in a week or so. And you're like, do it now. Why wait until you become ill? And I mean, I made the decision a year ago in October that I needed to live life in the sunshine. So I'm based in Turkey and I travel the world and 
you know, I'm 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 having it while I'm here. That's that is for sure. Um, and I've made sure that there's not really much on my bucket list that I haven't done already. Because if I've got the time and finances and support around, you know, I'm going to make sure I, I do it now while I'm fit and healthy. Um, you hear too often, don't you? People living for ret- till they're retired. And um, and then you know the what is it life with life expectancy after retirement age is what seven an average of seven years so you've got seven years to live your life and just like I'm yeah I'm I'm not not sure I uh, I understand that kind of outlook really and with them um, you were saying that um, how you've the question was how you've if you've done anything different I mean what's what's been different in terms of business with coming into the business and then your output on business has that changed at all or. Uh, are you seeing less income so you've got more time so you're trying to put give give more in terms of output uh yeah massively yeah um so almost within a week i just took email after email after email cancellation 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 i'm sure i'm not alone in that i'm sure that was me and loads of the business owners just sitting there thinking almost my diary getting cleared out and uh uh, the sort of our spreadsheets changing every five minutes on what we were projected income on because uh, obviously we do part of um, what we do I do a lot of training I do a lot of face on kind of workshops and all of them got postponed all of them kind of put on hold um, hopefully we'll you know those things will be waiting for us on the other side of this at some point but yeah that I mean we heavily rely on that as our business I, I suppose half of our business is one-to-one coaching in companies and with individuals that kind of stuff so we're kind of fortunate in the sense that that coaching stuff can continue. We've just took that online as best we possibly can. But we've lost some businesses as well because some of them have had to kind of close their doors, furlough all the staff. So they're not, you know, in a position to necessarily continue with what we're doing. Some are, are kind of still operating and doing okay, so we've kept hold of them. But, yeah, I reckon, I mean, I haven't worked the percentages out, but I reckon, we're, I reckon we've lost 60% of our income. Like, yeah, literally overnight, I think. Well, not overnight, over the space of about a week or two. Yeah. Feels like overnight. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but having said that, um, we can still operate. We're still working. uh, We're still contributing. I've been offering a few free things out as well, just to people, because I've got a bit more time. So just, you know, trying to help it, you know, some people in the situation, because you know, even just working from home, having the kids around all the time, not being able to work. There's, there's all sorts of different things come up for people from that. Um, but yeah, for us, I always like to look at the fact that we've still got 40% rather than we've lost 60%. I just think um, it's good in it. And, and, and I've got a, a different kind of attitude to money in the sense that I suppose for me, this sounds a bit weird, but I kind of think money's made up anyway it's just this made up thing and i think the fact the government has suddenly been able to pay people's wages when we didn't have enough money to fund the nhs six months ago i just think is it is just interesting isn't it that money's almost just numbers on a screen or numbers on a spreadsheet it's this kind of kind of made up thing and i know it impacts our life and i know it dictates our life at times but actually i hold i always have done i hold money very loosely it's not something again that i'm very very precious about money for me in business is almost a secondary a secondary thing i just sort of believe if i if i'm good at what i do and it works for people and i make a difference the money will come you know the money will kind of happen so i don't worry about it too much and and i I like the idea that you know for a while i might have to live off some less money that's all right in it i've still got uh, food in my cupboards and i've still got a bed to sleep in 
I'm rich, aren't I? Do you know, like I'm in the top, what will I be? Top 5% richest people in the world, probably. Certainly top 8% richest people in the world. If you had a choice before you were born, you'd have took that. You'd have took it with bells on, wouldn't you? So I think sometimes we lose sight of how stinking rich we are in the West. Um, and we lose sight of things that actually aren't that important. And even just people talking about going to the supermarket and not being able to get the essentials. I think it's really interesting to think through what are the essentials because we kind of consider bread and milk to be the essentials and yet actually we could live for weeks without bread and milk like you know when you talk about essential it's not really that essential is it it's nice to have and it makes life better and in kind of our culture bread and milk are kind of important but in the big scheme of things they're not really essential so i, I quite like the idea of living off less money for the next few months and seeing what happens with that and, and going again with it. And I know this is a different kettle of fish for people who really, really are struggling to put food on the table. It's a, it's a whole different ball game, and I'm not in any way downplaying that or dismissing that for them. But for me, in the situation that I'm in, I've still got food in my cupboards and I've got a bed to sleep in and I've got running water in my house. That, that makes me stinking rich, even in the fact that 60% of my business has gone overnight. Have you... Have you had um, many new like clients contact you going through this with a new version of sort of like help required or? Uh, not, not so much yet. Um, as I said, I've done some free stuff. So I've had some new clients kind of getting involved in some of the free stuff that I've been doing. Uh, but in no way doing that free stuff have I kind of been in any way selling or pushing anything mm. else that we're doing because you know, in some ways, it, it robs the whole point of offering free stuff, doesn't it, really? Yeah. The idea is actually genuinely just offering something. Um, so at the minute, no, but I, I think we probably will. Uh, I think some of that's about us figuring out as well um, what that looks like. We've got some ideas at the minute, but we haven't started to put anything out there yet. So I think we will get new clients. Um, and I think what's happening is, as people are experiencing the kind of virtual world, we're having a lot of people kind of saying to us, do you know what, this is actually really good. In fact, some people saying, I prefer this. I've done a couple of workshops in the last couple of weeks on Zoom. Uh, and I've never done that before. Uh, I've always done face-to-face -face stuff. So I kind of had to very quickly get my head around kind of Zoom and how it works and what I can do and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I've had people emailing feedback and some people saying, do you know what, I actually preferred this. Or saying... If this had been face-to-face, -face, I wouldn't have been able to come. So I'm so glad that I can actually get access to this and do this. So it's really shifted my thinking uh, in terms of what's possible for us and the audience yeah. and, we can, and the different things that we can do. So there's a lot of good things come out of this. I quite like the idea that the world pushes me to adapt and to flex and to do things differently. So I'm quite excited about then uh, going forward with our new company. And this is part of what's going to be new is introducing this kind of virtual training, virtual workshops, virtual kind of personal development sessions. I'm going to do a load of uh, professional development for coaches through the you know virtual world as well. So it's going to be quite, I'm quite excited about it. It's going to be quite interesting to see how that works and then how it fits with when we can get back to doing some in-person stuff as well and, and the mix of those two things. Yeah, because presumably it's, it's removed some barriers from some people as well, you know, be it logistically like traveling or time wise as well so so people who maybe needed some some form of coaching but there was a barrier there yeah, loads, mate. yeah, yeah. Loads. we did um 
we did a workshop, a free workshop the other night, and we had uh, twelve people on it, and we had people there from kind of Cheltenham, Oxford. Wow. Uh, kind of logging in. Obviously, I'm based miles away from that, so they're just kind of sat in the. In fact, we did introductions of uh, uh, tell us your name, tell us what room you're sat in in your house, <laughs> and kind of tell us what what city you're in or what town you're in. It was dead interesting. People like saying, you know. I'm Dave and I'm in the conservatory <laughs> in Leicester and you know things like that. It's just that interesting. But even that, yeah, so people, if we'd have been, we did a two hour workshop, if we'd have been doing that, those people wouldn't have come for two hours. It's too yeah. far to kind of travel. But then also we had someone saying on another workshop, I hope you don't mind, but at half seven, I just need to nip off for two minutes and put my kids to bed. I'll be back, but I just need to give them a kiss. Yeah. Again, they wouldn't have been able to access that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have a break. We'll build the break around that time as well. So feel free to do it. So I think it opens up this audience to people. And yeah. It just makes it a load more accessible. You, there's gains and losses, though, isn't there? You know, you you lose something a little bit with it being over, with it being virtual rather than kind of in person. But I think you gain something as well. So, you know, there's pros and cons with it, I think. It's far healthier, though, to... Um to, to uh, have two hours of that rather than Emmerdale, then Coronation Street, then EastEnders, you know. <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to start to build in regularly, I think, doing some personal development stuff uh, for people uh, and also some of this stuff for, specifically for coaches as well, just to help them kind of develop because it's so easy, isn't it? You know, yeah. just to kind of, uh, you know, point point my face at my kind of laptop screen and, and do some workshop stuff over two hours from, from my own house, basically. And they're all in their houses. I think it's great. I think it's great. It just opens the world up. Yeah, absolutely. John, what are, um, what, what are some tips you could advise our audience? What, what, are the, what, are the, what are some simple starting points that people can uh, adopt and implement with their, if it's their daily routine, if we're looking at people juggling work and life balance now in the home, what's, What's 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 piece of advice you could give our audience to to get the ball rolling to make a a, a big difference quickly? Uh, so I would say start again, as in don't don't take old world expectations into this new world because if you take old world expectations in, you're going to be constantly disappointed. So if you're now working from home with your kids around, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you're still trying to pull a nine to five with no distractions, you're going to be disappointed every single day because. <laughs> It just ain't going to happen, you know. It was me week one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not going to happen. You know, the world has changed. And, and when the world changes, it needs a new set of expectations. And, and often uh, the last thing to change is our expectations. We're still operating on an old system when there's a whole new world order going on. So I think the best thing you can do is almost just appreciate that we're in the unknown here. It's a completely new way of working for so many people, new way of living. So just give yourself a break to find a new rhythm, a new way of doing things. You might find that you work at different times. You might find that your kids need you. You might, you know, it, it changes the way you might relax everything. So I just think it's like almost abandon everything and start again. Like as if you start in a brand new job or a brand new, a brand new era of your life, just abandon everything. You don't know this yet. So give yourself a break and just see how this kind of rolls and unfolds and you will work it out. You'll get there. There's different ways of doing things and, and, and you might find that actually this difference is even better for you. But I think you've got to get rid of those old expectations. Otherwise, every night you're going to be gutted because it hasn't quite gone how you expected it to. You haven't lived up to these standards that you've got from the old way of doing stuff. 
Yeah. Love it's that. We, um, oh, Phil? I was going to say, we had, uh, I think it might have been Jonathan Elveridge. Um, he defined this as, um, as BC and AD, as, uh, you know, like, as, as defining as like before Corona and then after Corona and, and, and trying, to, trying to get your head around it that way, that it's such a defining moment that you need to yeah, change what you, what you did before and it's not going to be the same again. It's uh, very similar to what you're saying, like just it yeah. is unknown and just embrace that. And Yeah, and, and um, part of my problem is that I love the unknown. I love newness, I love different things. I love it when things change. Uh, I get quite excited by those things. Not, not always, but most of the time. So I feel like I've been thinking about the unknown for a kind of years now. So I, I feel like I've got a bit of a head start on, on most people here. Uh, but it is something that I think embracing the unknown is a great thing to do because when things are unknown, we just free our thinking. We can be more curious. We can. This is where our new company name came from, Spacious, because I think we can be more spacious in the unknown. There's almost a sense of kind of freedom and flexibility with it as well, just to kind of learn again and start again and figure things out. So I, I love it because I think there's something about it that, it makes us almost childlike in the sense that we get to discover things again for the first time. And I think if we can have that attitude to it, it just helps us dealing, it helps us to deal with the unknown in a, in a whole better way. Yeah. That's such a fearful thing for so many people right now, isn't it? In stepping into the unknown. I mean, I absolutely love it. Generally speaking, that's, that's kind of that, you know, jumping into something that you not really sure what the outcome might be, but, um, that not doing it would just kill me. <laughs> like not doing that, not giving something a go would absolutely destroy me. And often if by doing so, and if you fail, like you learn so much more out of those situations than not. So we, um, I interviewed a, a Buddhist nun on Friday, uh, Rigmar, and um, her, her, her big piece of advice was just to, similar to what you said, is just to let go. Is just to let go, um, you know, of all this tension and stress that's around us and, and, you know, there is a high level of uncertainty, of course. So we can't control that, you know, in, in many ways. So it's, it's about just letting go. And, um, and by doing so, then you have, there's every chance you'll have more control uh, in the short, medium and long term as well. But um, I've got to ask, so you were a footballer, right? So let's just switch off a bit. So your background is, you were, was, it, was it Burnley? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, a long, so disclaimer on this, right? This was a very, very long time ago. It's not like a Gordon Ramsay, is it? Where he like <laughs> allegedly put on um, like some socks of a Rangers player or something like that. It's like... No, no, no. I did actually play, but I only played a few games. I only, I only played in the first team a few times. So I've only got a few football league appearances to my name. That's it. You know, nothing. I didn't have any kind of glamorous, amazing career or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, I acknowledge that um, I've done something and got memories of doing something that thousands of people would give their right arm to do. You know, they literally would just for five minutes on a, on a football pitch playing for their team, uh, that, you know, would be amazing for people. So I totally acknowledge that. Um, it's kind of, it's interesting though for me because Football is the one thing in my life where I absolutely did not fulfil my potential. I'm completely aware of that. I had I had more talent than I uh, ever kind of realised. So it's an interesting one for me when I look back on it because I look back on it with huge fondness. But then it's also the one thing in my life that I think, do you know what? If I'd have, if I'd have known what I know now, things would have gone 
very differently. But having said that, um, I'm also glad that I kind of got out of football at a young age because it gave me a chance to do something different and experience life differently. Uh, so playing footy was amazing. It really was. But at the same time, it isn't what it looks like to everyone on the telly. Do you know, there's a load of PR goes into the whole thing and it looks a whole lot more glamorous <laughs> than the actual reality of it is. What's your, what's your one thing that stands out from your time, your experience of being... I mean, I was going to ask, um, what's your favourite moment on being on a football pitch? But it doesn't sound like there's, there's many minutes to, um, <laughs> to, pick, to pick from. But, um, but um, what's, what's the one thing that stands out that, that you think that that one thing was, was great? That always makes you smile from your involvement in football. Uh, it, it's got to be those moments where, like when I was 18 and uh, I, I played in Burnley's first team, and I played, uh, I don't know, three or four. I can't remember how many games that I played in their first team. And, and just that, just kind of being, getting to that level and being there and walking out with the team and actually the manager just telling me that he was going to play me. All that stuff really sticks in my memory because it was almost like everything in my life from being a kid had been geared towards because football for me was an obsession, like it was an absolute obsession. It was not a, a pastime or a hobby. It was an obsession as a kid. And I think it has to be for anybody who gets anywhere near that kind of level. Um, I just played football constantly, just wanted to improve constantly. My mum talks about one summer, actually, when I was about 12. And she said, uh, I don't remember it that well, but she said I went out every single day hours and on end just working on my left foot to get my left foot better constantly she said my mates were coming around and calling for me and I was telling them to go away so that I could just practice on my left foot Do you know like it really was like a an obsession for me so those moments of actually playing uh, in the first team pulling on that shirt the crowd being there that that stuff is amazing it really is you can't you can't beat it because it's almost like a, do you know what I've actually I've actually arrived at something that had always been a dream for me. So that, they're special. They're really special memories then. And if I can ask, was, that was there a point where that obsession um, dwindled? And that was maybe, because you said about having more talent, and I'm just curious, based on that, was it a, an issue of you stopped applying yourself um, to, 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 uh, to bring your application up to the levels of your talent? Or was, it, was there an injury or just more of a, a situation uh, you found yourself in? Yeah, so for me, it was more, uh, it, the best way I can describe it is almost like falling out of love. So football was something that I loved and then very quickly football was something that I just had no interest in at all. So um, I was playing for a club at the time and I just was bored. I was bored and it sounds ridiculous because Everyone imagines playing professional football is amazing, but I was bored. The training was boring. Uh, <laughs> it just wasn't stimulating me. I just, I, I got to a point where actually when that club told me that they weren't going to renew my contract, uh, there was sadness mixed with absolute relief of almost like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to do this anymore. And when I went to play part-time football, played like semi-pro if you like, um, I felt at that point, that's when my life really opened up and got interesting because I hadn't realised it, but football was so focused 
so all-consuming. Every action, every moment is dictated to almost preparation for the next game. And when I became, when I went part-time, it just didn't have that kind of level of pressure or intensity. Life was just a whole lot more interesting. So I preferred my life actually when football was more like a hobby, more like a fun thing to do, more like an addition to my life than when it was the absolute focus. And that's why I look back on it now with actual uh, gladness that I was, I was young enough. I mean, when I left football, I went off to get myself a university degree um, and played part-time. I was lucky enough that I'd kept up my education and to be able to do that. But that just opened the world up to me that actually there's so much more to the world than just football. So it was more a falling out of love and then a kind of falling back in love later on, but in a different kind of way, basically. That's what I'm sure it is. Well, you hear it. There's so many people who just aren't able to look back, you know, through, I guess, whether partially successful football careers or even failed football careers. There's a, there's a class of 90, uh, is it class of 92? And there's, there's a, a guy on there who just says he didn't apply himself like, like the likes of Giggs and Beckham. And um, you had the old, um, the old scout, I forget his name now. And he said he was, the, the scout was saying, and the coach, he was saying he, that was, the biggest disappointment was that that guy because he had the most talent out of everybody, the most raw talent um, and potential. And uh, and, it's, and I guess it's no surprise in, in what you're doing now that you're able to look back in such a way, um, such a levelled and balanced way, and take those positives as well. So that's that's um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, do you do you see in in the business world that how often do you come across individuals that? You just said you're obsessed. It was it was so consuming your um, your football career. And do you, do you see that often in the, in the business world? You know, people who have families that just are just so driven and, and don't realise it. Maybe that that all they're doing is work for the for the long term benefit of the children when maybe the the family life is suffering because of that. Yeah, I come across this quite a lot, really, and it's something that I, I maybe maybe my experience in football shifted this for me, but. Success for me is a, a very holistic thing. I don't see any success really in, in building an amazing business while your family's falling apart. I, I, I just don't. I just don't see any success in making loads of money while your health is suffering. It just it's something that really, from being in my early twenties, has made no sense to me at all. That success for me is incredibly holistic. I think the problem is though culturally, we hold people up as successful when they're successful in one area of life. You know, like, so somebody's really successful in their career, so we go, oh, aren't they amazing? And then we forget about actually how the rest of their life is kind of doing. And I'm much more interested in the holistic nature of this, that actually this is about the whole of you, the whole of you as a person and every area of your life being successful. And that's how I coach as well. So I've got no interest in coaches or coaching that just coaches people towards specific goals with and disregards all other aspects of people's lives. There's no success for me in being a coach if I coach someone towards a brilliant career while their relationships, friendships, families are falling apart. There's, that, there's no success in that. I, I absolutely refuse to do it. So when I'm working with people, it's all it's very much done in a holistic, let's have a look at the whole of you. Let's talk about the stuff that really matters and the stuff that's deeper down that changes everything, not just one kind of part of your life. So it's, that's really important to me. I don't really know whether that comes from my experience of football or not. It might do. It's probably got a part to play in that. But it's definitely an holistic thing for me. So how difficult was Phil to coach? 
<laughs> you know, hey, look, we're, transparency is key here. So we, we have to take the good and the bad. Isn't that right, Phil? Uh, it's interesting, this, because obviously uh, I've got to be very confidential about coaching because that's what I do. So I can't really tell you anything about what happened between me and Phil coaching, apart from the fact that actually it sparked into life very quickly. Uh, Phil was someone who was very open to growth and open to development, as you know. Uh, and that just makes coaching really kind of, it just makes it roll, makes the whole thing kind of happen. So uh, it, for me, it just, it just kind of, it kind of went from naught to kind of 100 pretty quickly in terms of like uh, the effects and the impact it was having. Yeah, so, so James, the, to paraphrase that, model student, that's that's what that's what we're that's what we're getting to there. Model, model student, yeah, model I believe student. that. <laughs> model, model coachy. Um, um, on the flip side, oh, sorry, is, is, there, is there ever been and you, you, not to be specific, but do you ever get where you're not able to to work with somebody just because they're not ready or they're not open? You spoke about Phil being open a model student, um, but are there are there any? Uh, have there been any experiences where someone's just not ready, they're not at the right time in life, they're not open, they're, they're preventing um, any, any, um, any help from, from any external um, support and sources? Uh, yeah, hang on, sorry, let me press that on that. Um, yeah, you get, you get the odd person who, um, some, sometimes particularly if we're working in a business and, and they've kind of sort of um, said they'll have some coaching but they're not quite sure what it is you get the odd per odd person not many but the odd person who comes along and just the whole idea of any kind of change or movement is really tricky for them and really difficult and it might just be that at that point in those circumstances coaching isn't really what they need or the right thing for them so that that does happen and we're really i mean i'm just really dead honest about that there's no again there's no pretense with it i don't try and coach people if they're not if they don't really want to be coached or it's not quite working for them or we, I'm just a big fan of naming stuff, so I just like to name stuff and go, you know, how are you feeling about this? Because this is where I'm at with it, and let's talk about what's going on here and what we kind of do with that. So I like to take the pressure off people that um, coming and having coaching with me is is very kind of uh, relaxed and straightforward, and let's just kind of see where we go with this. And if this works, it works, you know. And if it doesn't work, we'll we'll call it and we'll we'll try and get you some help some other way or do something different for you there's no i'm not i'm not precious about coaching in any way shape or form what i'm bothered about is that it helps you know it, it helps people people grow people develop in a way that's right for them and if it's something else they need then that's all well and good to be there's no problems with it so we just name it take the pressure off and kind of see what happens but most people who come for coaching most people who want coaching are able to kind of embrace it and work with it and roll with it and and find that it really does make a difference for them. Awesome. Tell you were going to yeah. say. Yeah, well, you've got one book under your belt, and the last time we spoke, we were you were embarking on book number two. So um, I know, I know, obviously you're working tight on things with book number two. I was just wondering if you wanted to just explain a bit about it and uh, and whether what we're going through right now has changed anything that you're writing in there and, and any approach tricks. I know it's all about connections, right? Yeah, so at the minute, my working title, it's probably changed since I last told you, Phil, but at the minute, it's uh, Connect Us Happy, which sounds like a weird title, but effectively, I'm absolutely convinced that connection is the heart of our happiness and unhappiness. Um, so yeah, the whole book really is about connection, but not just about 
how we connect to each other because often that's what people think about in terms of connection when i'm talking about connection i'm talking about four aspects really the way we connect to ourselves the way we do connect to other people the way we connect to our environment and the earth and actually the way we connect to the spiritual aspects of of life as well so there's those four kind of i kind of call them the four chords of connection um and really it's also recognizing this idea of something that i, I call the misconnection which is this idea that I think we live in quite a misconnected world in the sense the strap, like the working strap line for my book at the minute is uh, the quest for true connection in a misconnected world, because I, I don't think we realize how misconnected we are. And I, I'm deliberately using the word misconnected, not disconnected because disconnected is when two things are completely separated. Misconnected is when they're still connected, but they're wired up wrong. And that's what I think we're living with we're still connected in all four of these ways but our wiring's kind of gone astray a little bit we're not quite connected how we should be and i think we see that in the world in all sorts of ways so the books are all about how we recognize the misconnection and the things that are misconnecting us and then also how we start to be more connected in those different four chords um in answer to your question about has anything that's happening now changed what i'm writing no because i penned <laughs> the last word of the first draft of my book three weeks ago um, and actually uh, the only thing I thought is oh man if this was out at the minute it, it might be flying off the shelves here you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing I thought um, but actually no I think what's helped is that a few people have been reading the first draft of this during coronavirus kind of going on and it's probably made what I'm writing about even more relevant and even yeah. easier for people to get their heads around. So I think, I think connections at the top of people's lists at the moment. So I think people reading this book, um, I think that, again, this is just cemented for me that I've probably been writing stuff that does need to be written and does make sense to people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I say it all the time since we discussed, discussed the book, like we've, we've got Boris, for example, coming on every day at five o'clock or until obviously he got ill. Um, but him and his team coming on at five o'clock and they're, they're kind of trying to connect with us and trying to be, um, a, you know, team spirit. And, you know, this is, this is a war and we're fighting together. But then he's asked some, there are some really simple questions and it just immediately breaks down, you know, because that political, that political lack of direct honesty because we can't handle the honest truth about the situation. And so it gets diverted. Um, and you can see straight away that they, they, lose, they lose an element of faith, but they certainly lose that connection with us all that they're, that they're trying so hard to build every time they, co they come on TV. Um, yeah, it was just one example that just made me think, think of the book. Yeah, I, think, I mean, when you, when you get down to it the, and you start to see misconnection, you'll just see it everywhere. You'll see it every day of your life in loads of different things. You know, just the idea that um, if you think about the suicide rates, that's all, and it's all about misconnection, people feeling misconnected with themselves and misconnected with other people and their place and purpose in the world. And, you know, so that's one extreme example of it. But then even you, you see misconnection in friendships, in family relationships, you see misconnection in the idea that so many people don't even know where their neighbors are. You know, you, you see misconnection in the idea. I mean, the seas are awash with plastic and the polar ice caps are melting. You know, that's misconnection of humanity to the earth. And we see 
we see it on a global level and we see it on a on a personal level and you know even the idea that actually people are putting on fake smiles and then medicating the depression that they're kind of hiding from the world it's misconnection it, it's all over the place it's just prevalent and, and really the first thing that i do in the book is paint out this idea of misconnection so that we can really really see it because unless we can see the problem we can't we can't see the solution because if we think this is all right and it's just the way the world is well we'll carry on doing the things that have caused us to be more and more misconnected yeah but i guess as, as we've now come into social distancing and and no one's no one's in the workplace and no one's even playing football together at the park you know we're all we're all closed in and we've retreated to social media that's got to be a big chapter right like just <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the, the thing with it is is that's all weaved in all the way through the book this idea that actually we should be i mean apart from coronavirus we should be the most connected generation that's ever lived because we have more opportunities to be connected than anybody ever throughout history but we're not actually these things are misconnecting us superficial there's so much it's so superficial at play isn't it based on likes and shares and uh, which is ironic actually because in a positive way and certainly when we're looking at uh, the business lockdown this platform that we've created you know we want that for for positive you know to reach more people in a positive way however uh, you know the superficial side of it to take a, a photograph at a certain angle or connect with somebody that you don't really know for, for reasons that aren't too pure or whatever. Um, it's incredible, really. I think I mentioned on one of the, um, one of the shows last week where seen online with a few friends that they're going for walks and all of these are social distancing. They're saying, oh, it's, do you know what's really nice is that we're, when we pass people, you know, you're saying hello and they're saying hello back. And I'm like, that's that, I live for that shit. That's, you know, my favorite country in the world is Thailand because eight or 12 times minimum a day, I'm acknowledging people. I'm putting thumbs up. I'm giving a nod and you get it back tenfold, you know, and that, and to have that constantly in the day is just little power ups throughout. And you just think, I hope that people realize that that, you know, that is in abundance if you want it to be. And it's free, you know, it, it, it's, it's certainly free. It's not, it shouldn't be just, when we're, uh, we're in a pandemic, you know, that's, that's, that's there for the taking uh, under normal yeah, yeah. circumstances. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, James. I, I've been going for a 5K run with my family most mornings with my wife and my three kids, and we've been running, and we see the, I mean, we live in a village, so we don't see many people anyway, but we've seen the odd person, and everyone we see, I say hello to, and, and my middle son said to me today, you say hello to everyone, Dad, don't you? Is that because of coronavirus and social distancing? I said no mate I do that every I've done that for years every time I run every time I'm out on my bike everyone I go past I say hello to because there's something very natural and innate about that human connection about just wanting to connect with another person and and part of my book is about that and part of it's about these other three connections that I think are missing for us that we really really need so yeah I, I think the good thing about you know and there are some good things about this but the good thing about this crisis is that I've been, I've been speaking to people and they've been telling me that actually they've been more thoughtful about their connections with people. So they've been having family, uh, you know, conference calls and they've been kind of checking in with their mates and people where they're thinking, well, actually I'll see them in three months. So I don't really need to check in with them. Now people are thinking, well, I don't know when I'm going to physically see you again. So I'm going to connect with you more. And so I think 
can hopefully better connections will come out of this whole crisis at the end of it and we won't take it for granted so much that we are just going to see somebody again soon or whatever that actually will make that effort to be more connected mm. yeah absolutely is there is there anybody that you found yourself where you've connected with or vice versa that you haven't spoke with in years or that sprung to mind and you've thought i'm just going to give them a call have you has, has that happened all over the past few weeks or have you found that your your quantity of connecting with with your with your close circle of friends and family has increased yeah i think that's more the case um I've got a, a really good, good network, a really good network, a network I'm really, really happy with. Um, and I think what's happened in, in the last couple of weeks is that I've probably connected more with those people. Um, I've spent, I've been more conscious about it, about saying, oh, I'm going to give them a ring and see how they're doing, or I'm going to set up a Zoom call, or, you know, let's do this kind of thing. And I, and I think also people have made more time to connect as well which is really important so rather than people kind of having five minutes and then i've got to go because i've got this on and this on uh i mean for us even as a busy family my kids are all sporty so almost every night of the week we're out at a different sporting activity under normal circumstances and this has given us the space to actually do some other things so connecting with people has been one of those things that we've we've done loads more of awesome well Phil always asks about the book references, so I'll, <laughs> I almost, it's almost just nicer bringing that up now than the actual book reference. I think we're already at that stage, aren't we? So I think it's fair that we should mention your, uh, we should definitely plug your, your book, John, which is Coaching in the Great Unknown, Why Not Knowing Matters More Than You Know. Have you got that there, Phil? Uh, what, this one? That, that's the one there. <laughs> So we'll we'll put the link we'll we'll put the link and um, and a bit of insight into um, into the post when we when we put it out on you know both of your binders upside down oh you know now you mention it yeah I thought I had a I thought I had a one off limited edition <laughs> did, no, you no, get, no. did you get yours signed as well with love <laughs> <laughs> have I given you my signed one. <laughs> <laughs> but based on that and this is phil's favorite question is <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask it i'm gonna ask it um what all right phil should we ask what what's what john's favorite book is or what he would recommend as one book being being suitable for now being powerful for the for the now i think you've done enough there i think john's about to jump in with an answer to something what, what are you asking me then? What my, fa what my favourite book is? <laughs> yeah, either your favourite book or, or a book that you would suggest that, or, or just a reference point, a, you know, a podcast, audio book, radio station, yeah, yeah. whatever, um, that um, people would probably find useful uh, at this point in time. So uh, I'm going to do two books. So the book from years ago that really changed my life was uh, a very famous book that loads of people talk about, which was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Uh, that book, when I read it years ago, absolutely blew my socks off. So I think that's well worth a read. And in, in recent times, the best book that I've read recently is a book by, I think you pronounce his name, Mo Gaudat, uh, or Gaudat, uh, and that book's called Solve for Happy. Um, it's it's just brilliant. It's just dead simple. Dead was that soul, soul for happy? Solve as in S-O-L-V-E. Solve, oh, okay. like you're solving a sum. Solve yeah. for happy. 
it's a fantastic book uh, that just helps people work through their own happiness and why they think the way they think and all that kind of stuff. It's brilliant. And, and it's written by somebody uh, who's been through personal tragedy as well. So he's not writing it from some happy, fluffy cloud he's been sitting on. So it's, it's really good, really good. Yeah, excellent. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, where can people find you, John? What are your, what's your website, your social hooks, your fax number? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what are those things called from the 90s that used to be? Pages. That's what I'm going to say. Got to page me. Um, now, so you can get us on. Uh, our new website is going live hopefully tomorrow, uh, which is www.spaciouscoaching.co.uk. Uh, you can email me at John, that's with a H, obviously in the middle of it, john at spaciouscoaching.co.uk. Uh, and you can get hold of my book, Coaching the Great Unknown, on, on Amazon, but you said you're going to put the link on there anyway, didn't you? So, yeah. That's yeah, correct. Do you, so, a, do you have a date at all for your new book yet? Uh, no, not officially. So it's still, the first draft is out there, still getting read, and then we'll gather some feedback and, and rework it slightly. I'm hoping there's not too much reworking to do because this is my second book so I know I'm doing a bit more now uh, so hopefully hopefully by the summer I think we should definitely have it out and available by the summer Excellent. with books in mind Excellent. Phil you've got you've got two copies of John's book is that right yeah have you not I mean, I've got the um, I've got the hardback edition, but I, I, I'm not going to go to the other room uh, at the moment. But yeah, I've got I've got two copies. Uh, I, I wore out the audio book, so I thought I'd get a couple of couple of paper copies. So, with that in mind, um, with a the book there, can we offer that book to our audience? So, is there a is there a question or a, a piece of insight that we can put to the audience, and we'll select our favourite and, and fire a book their way? Is there a this is, this is very spontaneous right now. This is yeah. as spontaneous as we've been. So is this a question for me or you, Phil? What, you, what well, I think me? the question for me was, will I give away one of my books? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. No, no. Yes. That wasn't a question. That's, that was just, that was just uh, informing you of what we're doing now, Phil. So yes, um, we'll, we'll move on from, from that piece of information to Mr. Scaife. So yeah, yeah. John, what's... Um, <laughs> thanks anyway, for, thanks for that, Phil. John, what's... Um, what, uh, yeah, what can we ask our audience, whether it's a question or um, giving a piece of, um, of something of value? This is all about helping and connecting people. So what can we ask our audience um, to contribute? Um, and then we'll, we'll fire them one of your books, um, one of Phil's books, should I say. <laughs> I don't mind. I've got loads of books I can give away. <laughs> so don't worry about that. We can do this. Um, so are you wanting a uh, sort of a, something they can contribute to this, a question that they can kind of work with with this? I think it's something of value that our audience can give because we're all about giving and, and uh, connecting and sharing. So is it an example of uh, a, a story or a piece of advice that they can give the audience? And, and, and we, we... Yeah, I, I think what would be great would be to hear some of those stories of connection that have been happening through this time. That's the bit I'd be really interested in. So if they can kind of, I don't know, uh, send in or kind of ring up or whatever they need to do. Just with those kind of <laughs> facts in page. Um, just some of those stories of connection in this crisis. I think that'd be really interesting to hear about because that's the stuff I think that's uh, 
uplifting and beautiful and brilliant about this whole thing. So, mm. yeah, stories of connection would be amazing, just whether they've experienced great connection or they've been on the receiving end of that or they've been dishing it out. I just think it would be great to hear. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. On that note, Phil, I'll let you wrap this up. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a pleasure as always to be in your company, John. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, guys. Much, really appreciate it. Appreciated. Yeah, much appreciated, John. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on The Business Lockdown. Please comment, like, share and subscribe to help build our global community. We look forward to seeing you all soon.